Ignite your curiosity with Austin next. We're watching Austin transform from a thriving ecosystem into a global superstar. With our host, Jason Scharf, we aspire to better comprehend the true nature of innovation. Together, we will uncover what makes a successful ecosystem and navigate the technologies shaping our future. Now let's dive into what's next. Capital is the fuel that drives the innovation ecosystem. When talking about startups, we've mostly focused on the equity side of the equation. Grants, however, make up an important component in funding and catalyzing innovation. The biggest source of grants is, of course, the U.S. government through numerous agencies and programs. During the past few years, there's been a surge in new organizations and institutions as well that have also focused on scientific grant making. Today, we're talking with Ella Morawski, a program director for the SBIR STTR program at the National Science Foundation. We talk about the programs available to small companies, how the NSF is evolving, and how Austin fits into all of this. Ella manages several technology portfolios, including advanced manufacturing, mobility, semiconductors, photonics, and energy storage. For two decades, she's engaged with startups and small businesses as a founder, executive officer, and scientific lead on the development of technologies involving medical devices, photonics for displays, semiconductor electronics, renewable energies, nanomaterials, and biotechnologies. She built strong collaborative partnerships across industry, academia, and federal labs to commercialize technologies that resulted in sustainable business models. Ella holds a PhD in physical chemistry from the University of Colorado, a BA in chemistry from Columbia University, and completed a National Research Council postdoctorate at the National Institute of Standards and Technology. Her current efforts focus on supporting resilience and sustainability in technology. Ella, welcome to the Austin X podcast. Thanks for having me, Michael and Jason. Let's start with the basics, the role and mission of the National Science Foundation, and specifically the SBIR and STTR programs. So the National Science Foundation was established in 1950 with the mission to promote the progress of science, uh, to advance the national health, prosperity, and welfare, and to secure the national defense and for other purposes. So the main role of NSF is to really support fundamental breakthrough research. And in fact, about 25% of all science and engineering basic research in the U.S. is supported through NSF grants. The foundation uh, as a whole evaluates over 40,000 proposals each year to determine where their approximately $8.5 billion budget would be most impactful. Um, NSF supports over 11,000 projects comprising 1,800 institutions involving over 300,000 individuals. And the SBIR-STTR program, which uh, we actually more uh, informally call America's Seat Fund now, uh, recently moved into NSF's new directorate um, called the Directorate for Technology Innovation and Partnerships, also known as TIP. This directorate created, uh, was created to address critical needs to advance the geography of innovation, engaging communities throughout the country that for too, far too long have been unserved or underserved in the nation's uh, research and innovation endeavors. And so our focus at the Seed Fund is on supporting really the earliest stages of technology development where companies are often at a stage too risky for private investment. We definitely differentiate ourselves. We have about $200 million per year in R&D funding to startups and small businesses. And what we uh, like to tell everybody, it's very pro uh, prominently on our website, is that we don't take any equity from these companies. So it really allows uh, them to you know, think about the idea and, you know, function and, and create around that idea uh, individually um, and with teams uh, how they prefer to do so. 
And to give you an idea of the companies that we fund, more than half of all phase one proposals awarded in FY20 were first-time applicants. 95% um, of the phase one awards in FY20 were awarded to startups with less than 10 employees. And 81% of the phase one awards in FY20 went to startups that were established within the last five years. As some other Distinguishing features of the program uh, include our merit review process, which I think we'll talk about a little bit later, um, but just to touch base on it briefly here, you know, we look at technical merit, which is the innovation. What is it? Is it highly innovative? Does it meet our solicitation requirements or uh, groundbreaking uh, research? Um, broader impacts, which is that societal impact, and then also commercial potential. Is there uh, the possibility for this company to uh, exist uh, with a sustainable business model? And we're very much interested in highly innovative technologies um, and solutions, highly innovative solutions, as well as ones that have the potential to solve society's most pressing needs and the potential to provide that sustainable business model. In our program, each company has the potential to be awarded about $2 million in non-diluted funding. The idea is that you're, the company is focusing on de-risking the highest risk aspects, um, the more most challenging aspects, the things that I always tell people, what is it that keeps you up at night? where you don't think that this is actually going to work. Um, and that's where we want you to focus on to see if that can be that you could overcome those technical challenges and make that groundbreaking uh, innovation. Uh, and then the goal basically is to get the companies to a stage where private investment could continue the commercialization trajectory. I like the fact that you highlight that this is an area where it is way risky for the company and especially too risky for investors because this is an area where the government can really make a difference and bring in a nice seed fund, you know, $2 million, give or take, not bad. And it allows these companies to do this first phase of research and, and begin the process towards that MVP kind of product. What are the areas that you're now looking at and how has that evolved over the time that you've been at the NSF and, and doing these America's Seed programs? So I would say, so we don't really focus on any particular um, topic areas. The, the NSF's goal is really broad, far reaching and really trying to get the innovative ideas to come to us. But what are you seeing in terms of the, the different types of programs and the different types of, of areas of study, if you will? So, so we do have some, you know, major areas that we see people, you know, applying to. Uh, one of them is life sciences. Um, another one is electronics, internet of things and robotics. There's uh, advanced manufacturing materials, photonics and semiconductors. Um, and then we also have information technology. So those are kind of like the broad groupings. Um, they're not indicative of where we're putting effort on. They're indicative of where we're getting proposals from and where our competitive review process values and finds um, the high innovative, highly innovative aspects. So, you know, that touches on sort of our review process and, you know, what, what is considered competitive in our program. So the SBIRSTTR now America's tip, um, America's seed program, sorry, um, have been programs that have gone on for a while. They've been very successful. You guys are out there promoting this. Are there other examples of programs like this that are at, at, at the NSF? So we have different programs based on the different stages. So America Seed Fund is the one that really allows folks from outside of academia to apply to the program. So they, so we see a larger uh, difference in demographic of who is applying to the program. 
based on the fact that the PI, you know, can be coming from industry and may have, you know, decades of industry experience, may have us, you know, five years of industry experience, but may have seen, you know, some problem both in the, in society and industry that they would like to tackle that's not available to them in the, in the, in the infrastructure that they're currently working in. The other programs we have are partnerships for innovation, which is basically, um, it is a program that helps to uh, fund that pre previously NSF funded basic research. And it is an exploratory research towards a prototype to really kind of de-risk that technology, bring it a little bit out of more out of the lab into a state where then now um, industry stakeholders could take a look at it and determine whether or not it's something that that would solve a you know a pain point problem in society and in the commercial markets. Um, another one we have is ICOR, which is in support of that, and that really is for uh, training uh, the science scientific individuals that are on these projects to understand you know what's important uh, when you think about translating your technology. You know, understanding the difference between features and benefits and what value propositions are, and really being able to listen and understand what the customer pain points are. Uh, so Convergence Accelerator is another one which basically supports the merging of innovative ideas um, and approaches uh, and technologies from a diverse range of sectors and experience. So the, you know, it, it's, it's the emerging innovation, but how do you actually bring those together in a collaborative way so um, people with different uh, expertise in different areas can be, you know, co-creating solutions that can solve problems, complex problems. And then uh, the last one that is most recent and new is Pathways to Enable Open Source Ecosystems, which is also known as POSE. And the goal of this is funding new open source ecosystem managing organizations to catalyze community-driven development and growth of open source ecosystems. And so that's where TIP really comes in is how do we really engage a broader swath of our country and communities? Because, you know, great ideas come, you know, from a variety of different places. And so, you know, gaining that engagement and regaining that engagement from um, a younger age all the way throughout even adulthood, how do we get those ideas to come to us so that we can, we can support them and um, help them grow from fledgling ideas into impactful um, innovations? I want to drill down on one area that you've mentioned, and that was semiconductors. Semiconductors have become a very important uh, industry here in Austin. What are you guys looking at now in the semiconductor space? I mean, if you look at the news, it's always about, well, it's two nanometers or four nanometers. And what does that, what does that kind of thing mean? What are you guys seeing? Well, from a, you know, from a high systems level perspective, we're looking at all the different aspects. My, my personal portfolio is advanced manufacturing. And in that portfolio, I'm looking at how do we bring back, you know, resilience in our supply chain for those particular technologies and what can we do? What were, what, what are the hurdles for reshoring and what can we do to solve those hurdles? I'm looking at, you know, basically solutions being presented in that area and identifying ones that are most promising. Um, and then of course I now have the semiconductors portfolio. And in that one, we're actually looking at what are the new technologies that are really going to drive the applications? You know, what's really going to be driving communications and moving communication speeds um, higher and energy consumption and, you know, all the different pain points that are keeping these technologies from becoming widespread. So those are sort of two different portfolios with two very different, you know, perspectives on what is, what's going to drive sort of the markets. And of course, 
I always go back to this and it, it is having those individuals who are presenting these ideas really understand those markets and understanding what the pain points are of those markets. I, I as a program director, see certain things, but I don't see everything. There, there isn't the, that opportunity. Um, I have the opportunity to, through a review process, engage with experts in the field um, to help review the, the proposals and provide guidance. But at the same time, you know, there are so many, so many factors and stakeholders and, and individuals working in these areas that um, that knowledge is, is key and, and, and networking through the, the system to understand those pain points is really important. Let's get down to the nuts and bolts. What's the process by which an, an individual PI or a small company applies for a grant through NSF on the TIP program? So we have the very initial uh, recommendation I have is always to go uh, to our website and visit the resources tab. And there's a little part that says for applicants and we have weekly webinars. Um, we have two recordings. One is actually by myself and one is uh, by my colleague, Ben Schrag, about the different aspects of the program. One is, you know, basically how to apply in terms of your, how to get feedback on your idea. And the other one is actually how to, you know, sort of compose that proposal. That's the beginning. And then we have weekly webinars, which are staffed by anywhere between one and three program directors to, to ask questions about, you know, the program. And the benefit of that, I always say, is now you're with your colleagues on a call. So you get to hear what they ask. And also um, they get to hear what you ask and then together you can get a, a better picture of the program. Um, once you get that, that down, uh, I, we, we recommend you submit a pitch, which is basically a, a synopsis of your idea. You talk about the technical innovation, you talk about the market, um, where are you intending on, on trying to commercialize this technology and why do they need it? Uh, and then the team and company. So a little bit of background on what the company is and, you know, what the purpose, the mission, and then who the folks are that are driving this. And then the technical challenges section, which is basically what are, what are the unique challenges to your new innovative approach in creating a solution for society or commercial markets? And so that pitch, what if you get invited to the pitch, and basically you will then be able to submit a full proposal. If you don't get invited to the, to the program, then we, we provide you with feedback as to, you know, why it wasn't particularly a good fit for our program. It could be because it's not meeting the solicitation requirements or perhaps it wasn't well enough composed. And so we'll ask for some additional details and that you're really getting that one-on-one -on -one with the program director. The difficulties of always writing that pitch deck. Yes, the difficulties of writing the pitch deck. But you know how important it is because when you go to private investment firms, and it's very important as well. One of the biggest advantages, if you will, of this program is that it's feedback loop in terms of the, the feedback that an applicant gets from a technical point of view very different from the feedback they might get from a an angel investor or a seed stage or early stage VC. Talk about the selection criteria and how that gets applied in practice. So we have three, what we call intellectual merit review criteria. The first one is uh, technical merit, which is how innovative is the solution? How much does it differ from the current state of the art and how much could the value propositions driven from that be different than what the current state of the art is? Then the second one is uh, the broader impacts. And this is, you know, that how does this really help society as a whole? And this one can, you know, can be varying. We have in our solicitation some guidelines that were uh, 
drafted from Congress about what is considered to be broader impacts, and then also the uh, commercial uh, potential. And that is where I always say, just as you would do some research on what your technical innovation is, what the technology is, and have some scientific rationale behind that, to also have some commercial rationale behind it by having done some investigation and some initial um, discussions with stakeholders. We have, for our process, we invite basically three, a minimum of three reviewers to review the proposals. This could be an ad hoc um, review where just the reviewers will review each of the individual proposals um, individually, or they will, you know, potentially um, come together after reviewing and do a panel discussion. So what the output of our program is, uh, is the, the individual reviews plus the panel summaries. And so that is a synopsis of what uh, the discussion regarding the panel summary is a synopsis of the discussion of what uh, your technology is as viewed by, you know, three uh, individual experts in the field. As So let's step back and look at the NSF's position in the broader innovation ecosystem. So we recently had on Jason Crawford from the Roots of Progress to discuss progress studies and what's been going on. And one of the big issues that we discussed is the, you know, the great stagnation theory, which posits that Outside of a few key areas, internet, genetic engineering, there's been a considerable slowdown of innovation over the last 50 years compared to the previous 50. Let's just start with during that time period, what have been some of the NSF's big successes? You know, I appreciate that uh, Jason mentioned the internet and genetic engineering as some, you know, big progress points. Um, Some of the other aspects I would like to point out are, you know, computer visualization techniques, which really have allowed rapid design and testing in many, many different manufacturing environments and and design environments that without that, I don't, we wouldn't be where we are at. Then also, if you think about when the internet first began, um, there were only a few hundred websites, but searching even this small number wasn't a straightforward task. And so NSF had funded basically the digital library initiative for which two graduate students were working on this project, um, namely Larry Page and Sergey Brin at Google. So um, that's made a, a pretty significant impact on how, you know, how our society is functioning today. I also like to uh, point out additive manufacturing. And so where, you know, in manufacturing, we've always thought about subtractive and, you know, taking some big block and then taking stuff away from it. And now we're approaching it from an additive perspective. It, 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 it's amazing what this has enabled in terms of potentially reshoring manufacturing in the United States. Um, and so that early research was also funded by NSF. And, you know, basically today we have footwear, jewelry, automobile parts um, using um, 3D printing technologies. And then I guess the last one I might say, um, I always want to say that, you know, from fundamental research often comes the inspiration for that new revolution. And so in, within the last even you know, 30, 50 years, I would say even less than that, you know, we've been able to actually measure gravitational waves from space. And you know, this was a theory posited by Einstein over 100 years ago, but we measured it like in, in this time frame. Um, and that is you know, sort of the beginning and inception point of potentially some new and interesting science. And then also we took the first photo of the black hole and so now we can actually under, begin to understand a little bit more about the physics and dynamics um, of that, that particular type of system, which could also open up 
new um, and exciting avenues for research. And it always takes time before that fundamental research does touch the action, like us individually who didn't even know it might have been happening, but it, it, you know, in many cases it does. And so it is about that time difference between the initial inception and the, the societal benefit that we see. No, and it's a good point when you think about a lot of the basic physics and chemistry research that was done 1900 to 1920 is what was the propellant for that, you know, the nuclear age and jet uh, jets and everything that kind of happened in that, you know, the transistor, et cetera. So the fundamentals that are happening, you know, now in the last 10 years, and I think one of the things that's, of course, and my background is all in, in life science, you know, we may be heading into the, you know, the bio age now, but which has been... 35, 40 years of, of research now getting us kind of the tools that, that we need. Exactly. And then, and, and so I always say, you know, science navigates as long as if we see the, if we have the opening to be very general and we see where people are naturally gravitating towards, it allows for this kind of co-development and community development um, towards solutions. And the, the NSF is less prescribing um, as a, as a foundation. And so, and, and that's, that's in the sort of the mandate is to find the exciting technologies and support them. So we obviously all live in interesting times with the, you know, the pandemic, the last few years. And one of the things that's happened a little bit before the pandemic, which you saw it a lot more since is an explosion of kind of these new grant making institutions. So you had fast grants, emergent ventures, Institute for progress, Parker Institute for cancer immunotherapy, and what I've been finding interesting is it's all about kind of speed and scope. So Fast Grants, which was during the pandemic, was deploying 10K to 500,000 in under 14 days. And a lot of this seemed to be the response of the governmental body wasn't either from a size, a scope, or a speed perspective kind of meeting the needs. How is NSF evolving right now to kind of meet these needs given the challenges? So I just want to take one step back and just mention, you know, First, it was a truly unprecedented, unprecedented time requiring multi-pronged effort from the community as a whole, including, you know, the government entities. Um, and it might be of interest to note here that it was basic government-funded science which laid the groundwork for the mRNA technology used by many companies in the development of the vaccines to fight the COVID-19 pandemic. And so, you know, the underlying technology was there. And if governments hadn't funded this, then basically it would be difficult to even have that sort of building off point. So then, you know, pivoting it back to the entrepreneurial perspective um, and, and specifically the NSS, uh, you know, America's seed fund, we did receive additional funding during that first year of the pandemic. And we did release a COVID-19 Dear Colleague letter to encourage new technical innovations from entrepreneurs in response to the various detrimental aspects occurring as a result of the pandemic. And so while we didn't necessarily have the average turnaround time of, you know, 14 days, uh, you know, we did have, you know, funding coming from the, when that letter uh, came out in, I think it was March 25th, uh, 2020, you know, we had a, a pipeline and we're actually starting to fund folks, you know, four months uh, into it. So maybe not as fast as one would like, but still, uh, you know, that's pretty quick considering um, that we have a, a, a pretty, uh, in-depth review process to sort of be able to, you know, vet competitively all of the different uh, ideas that were coming to the program. 
I also think it was interesting. I hadn't heard of this before, but you, you mentioned earlier this the the funding of like open source communities, which I find an interesting evolution if, because I'm sure if we'd gone back to NSF, I don't know, 30 years ago, it probably wasn't that. So how are you seeing new initiatives such as that really influencing how you engage with the, the broader communities? So this is, you know, a very new directorate, the TIP directorate. And so that, and the, and the pose uh, effort is also very new. And so we're still in the process of sort of, you know, seeing how this is all, you know, going to sort of evolve in time, but, you know, the importance of it is really understanding that, you know, we want to build an organizational culture of innovation um, and then really foster public-private partnerships to advance technological innovation and translation. And that's that's the purview of this um, directorate. And so the key goals of TIP include, you know, elevating the U.S. competitiveness in key technology areas, driving rapid impact for critical societal challenges and fostering education. And that's an important one to really help build our pipeline of, you know, STEM uh, the STEM workforce. Uh, and then the, you know, sort of the approach to this is that these programs are paired with experiential opportunities to ensure that the students that are currently looking to, um, to pursue STEM degrees, um, or maybe even not, perhaps those experiential opportunities will encourage them to into STEM degrees and that they're ready for, you know, tomorrow's innovation ecosystems. So a lot of different changes, a lot of uh, evolving. What are the challenges that NSF faces going forward when it comes to catalyzing innovation? So, you know, I would say again that we're really looking at trying to engage the broader community. And so the challenges I would say would be in really trying to have have that ecosystem. And that's what we're trying to build right now is that sort of research uh, innovation ecosystem throughout in the different localities of the United States to really be able to draw into that talent that's there. You know, I think there was one moment that I was reading about, you know, one of the, one of the reasons why one was not, why there was not a great stagnation in the 50 years prior, as some say was because there was the education provided to, to populations who typically weren't having access to education. And so that, you know, being able to really make that broader outreach to the community uh, and those have those opportunities there for more people than we have historically in the past will be something that's going to be key in driving innovation in the future. Well, I want to pull that thread on the localities and the changing here. So this episode actually came about because I met some people from NSF at South by Southwest, obviously a huge, you know, uh, festival and conference here. And the director was one of the featured speakers. How does an event like South by fit into the mission? So, well, South by Southwest is touted as a place to showcase ideas, you know, form partnerships, solve unique problems, and generate buzz. Uh, so it made sense for NSF to be a part of that. You know, and we had our booth there, and um, it was tremendous to see how many people did stop by and, you know, didn't really know what we were doing. Uh, or what we had done or, you know, in the past in terms of funding the, the research that we had funded. Um, so it was great to be able to really tap into, you know, that excitement that South by Southwest has. And NSF has advanced the full spectrum of fundamental recent research and education in all fields of science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and STEM for more than 70 years now. NSF was basically the ideal venue for 
um, us to an, announce and launch the new TIP directorate. Um, TIP is going to open up new possibilities for research, education, and, and it's going to catalyze strategic partnerships linking academia, industry, government, philanthropy, civil society, and communities of practice to cultivate a 21st century local, regional, and national innovation ecosystem. And it's going to ensure U.S. leadership in critical technology areas and addressing our national and societal challenges for decades to come. And so, you know, being able to announce that all at South by Southwest in front of a, you know, engaged audience, you know, focused on technology, but also, you know, we, you know, would spill over from the ed educational aspects and then also having artists, you know, in the mix and basically having this ecosystem of people with varying, you know, backgrounds, um, you know, it was a great place to be able to, to make that announcement. Well, and it fits right in, you know, our podcast, we are looking at the, you know, the local ecosystem and how it affects both here and then the national innovation itself as well. And so we always like to end our podcast with the same question. So you, you got a taste of Austin here at South by Ella, what's next Austin? Well, I would say, you know, we're, we're always engaging, uh, great ideas from all over the country. And Austin is, uh, an ecosystem of, uh, entrepreneurial innovation. And so, you know, we're always looking to see what your fantastic ideas are. So please do come to visit us, uh, at America's seed fund, uh, it's nsfseedfund.gov. And so we would, we're absolutely excited to see what your new and fantastic ideas and innovations are to help society and make the world a better place. I love it. Ella Morawski, Program Director for SBIR, STTR Program at National Science Foundation. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure being here. So what's next, Austin? We're glad you've joined us on this journey. Please subscribe at your favorite podcast catcher, leave us a review, and let your colleagues know about us. This will help us grow the podcast and continue bringing you unique interviews and insights. Thanks again for listening and see you soon.